1: We shouldn't discount the fact that in the last 12 months, we've seen China commission nine new destroyers, two amphibious ships and a nuclear powered submarine. And so that puts it into context that we can't sit idly by uh, and expect that we will be able to remain uh, a credible defence power and presence in the region if we don't explore uh, the best possible technologies and platforms. Welcome to the National Security Podcast brought to you by the ANU National Security College, with support from policyforum.net. In this special episode, we kick off a mini-series exploring the AUKUS technology sharing arrangement, a year on from its announcement. Recently retired Vice Admiral Michael Noonan,
0: former Chief of the Royal Australian Navy, joins Professor Rory Medcalf. They discuss the strategic challenges that led to AUKUS – the difficulties of implementing it, nuclear submarines, and the role of sea power for Australia. Before we get into it, we'd like to acknowledge the Ngunnawal and Ngambri people, traditional owners of the land from which we broadcast. We pay our respects to their elders past and present. Welcome to this special national security podcast looking at the AUKUS arrangement, the three nation technology. Sharing arrangement between the United States, the United Kingdom, and Australia that will, among other things, uh, fundamentally change Australian sea power and uh, introduce nuclear powered submarines to the Royal Australian Navy. In the first of these podcasts, looking at the background of AUKUS, the implications of AUKUS, and in particular, uh, the challenges ahead. For Australia in particular, in implementing this uh, AUKUS arrangement, I'm really pleased to be joined by uh, Michael Noonan, Vice Admiral, retired, uh, recently retired, Michael Noonan, uh, former Chief of the Royal Australian Navy. Uh, Mike, it's great to have you with us on this National Security podcast.
1: Uh, thanks very much, Rory. It's uh, it's great to be able to join you on such an important uh, topic as we approach the, uh, the 12-month anniversary uh, since the AUKUS um, agreement was uh, entered into, it's great to be able to share this opportunity with you.
0: So to get straight into the the substance of this conversation, uh, I'd like to discuss over the next little while the um, the strategic challenges that led to AUKUS, uh, some questions really about the role of Sea power for Australia. Some background on why nuclear submarines uh, are special, and then perhaps a few questions about the the challenge going forward. So I might kick off there, uh, Mike, and just go straight to the AUKUS uh, agreement being a response to a major deterioration in Australia's strategic environment. And I guess that's how I read it, especially the commitment to deliver uh, for Australia a fleet of nuclear-powered submarines. How do you perceive the strategic challenge for Australia in the Indo-Pacific?
1: Well, certainly you know, the Indo-Pacific is Australia's backyard. It's our neighbourhood. Uh, it's vital for us as a as a maritime nation. Uh, and what we have seen... Uh, in the last 10 years, and it's accelerating, is the, uh, is the rise of China, uh, the great power competition that we've seen in the Indo-Pacific, particularly over the last five to 10 years. Uh, and this does uh, bring with it great risk to Australia's ongoing maritime security and prosperity. Uh, we're, we're not spectators in this. We're, we're active participants in the region. And so it's, uh, it's vitally important that uh, we're not just engaged, but we're doing things now uh, that will ensure our security and prosperity into the future. Uh, so I think that um, the decisions that the government's taken with respect to our, our uh, defence and particularly our hardware and platforms uh, really are important ones that um, the, the nation needs to understand and be committed to.
0: So if the strategic challenge is about uh, great powers in the Indo-Pacific, and you, you refer to China in particular, what's the role of sea power for Australia in meeting that challenge? And I guess you have a certain view on this as a, uh, uh, a long-time uh, Navy man, a former Chief of Navy. But what's the role of sea power, if I may, in meeting the strategic challenge?
1: Well, I think uh, it's, it's obvious when you look at it, Rory, in that um you know, as we remember that Australia is a is a continent. We're an island. We're a maritime nation. Uh, we rely on maritime trade for our uh, economic prosperity, uh, and and ultimately, uh, the the way that we are connected to the world by seabed and uh, and submarine cables uh, is is absolutely vital to our global trading system. And so, uh, if our uh, access to the maritime environment uh was disrupted in any way uh be that um in terms of blockade of the sea routes that we uh, we use for trade or, or disruption to the communication lines that uh, that we rely upon uh we would see a very uh, significant and rapid deterioration uh of the security situation and and our prosperity here in australia and the region uh as one of the larger uh Countries and and defence forces in the region, we've got a a responsibility not only uh, to Australia, uh, but also to many uh, of the smaller Southwest Pacific uh, nations in terms of ensuring that they are able to uh, prosper uh, and that they have the security uh, that they need to be able to uh, enjoy sovereignty and and uh, and the economic prosperity that we want to see everybody enjoy. So this is not about uh, being anti-China, this is about uh, seeing uh, everybody have the right uh, to access to the maritime environment in a free and prosperous way.
0: So that's sea power in the broad, uh, but of course, sea power can vary widely from, uh, I guess, uh, you know, relatively light surface vessels performing constabulary missions through to the, uh, you know, the large uh, amphibious assault vessels, the, the LHDs, to serious warfighting surface uh, vessels with, with long-range strike. Uh, but what about submarines? Why do submarines matter in that context?
1: Well, submarines, Rory, as, uh, as we all know, are a unique vessel. Uh, they, uh, they allow a, um, a strategic presence that uh, no, other, no other vessel uh, can provide. They can operate a long way away from their home base. Uh, they, they are designed to operate undetected. Um, it's all about stealth. And so what we've seen in, in the history of Australian submarines uh, is, is the evolution of our submarines being able to operate uh, not just around Australia but within our region and globally uh, in support of our national interests. And the big advantages, of course, is submarines is that they are uh, largely undetected, except for when they need to come to the surface. And we've uh, certainly enjoyed the period of the Collins-class submarines and the Oberon submarines before that, being able to uh, conduct their missions, uh, their covert missions, very successfully. Uh, as we move into a more contested environment and uh, and systems in uh, our region that make uh, make submarines more detectable when they're on the surface, the um, the only way uh, to remain undetected uh, is to is to not be on the surface. And so. Uh, the great advantage of a nuclear-powered submarine over a conventional-powered submarine is that uh, that that periodic surfacing that, that typically occurs once or twice a day in a conventional-powered submarine does not need to occur in a nuclear-powered submarine, which of course restores our balance to use that strategic asset in the way the government should choose to.
0: So, n- nuclear power, su- nuclear-powered submarines really have a distinct strategic advantage in that regard and it's worth noting of course that Australia is hardly the first country to be introducing nuclear-powered submarines to the indo-pacific as a I, you know I, I note that um, while there are nations in the region that are expressing some concern about Australia's ambitions uh, they're sometimes a little bit less silent on the fact that uh, uh, China for example has a substantial and growing nuclear-powered and indeed nuclear-armed submarine fleet, but let's not go there at the moment. Let's just look a little bit further at the advantages that uh, a nuclear-powered fleet would have. I mean, you've talked particularly about detection. Is that the only issue? I mean, aren't there other issues about range and speed and so forth?
1: Yes, there are, of course, Rory. Uh, nuclear-powered submarines are, uh, are absolutely um, have the advantage of, of range. Uh, clearly, without the need to uh, to refuel, uh, they uh, they can stay at sea for long periods of time, and uh, and can operate under underwater for long periods of time. The, the limiting factor, of course, uh, is the need to um, to replenish the uh, the food for the crew. So you've got endurance. That's clearly a great advantage of a nuclear powered submarine. Uh, speed. You mentioned that. Uh, typically, a nuclear powered submarine uh, could operate. Uh, at a speed, um, you know, in, in excess of twice that of a conventional, conventionally powered submarine. In many cases, uh, so the only way to, to to chase a nuclear powered submarine is is with a nuclear powered submarine. Uh, and then, of course, uh, we've got the the issue of of detectability, which is a a combination of both of those those attributes. If it can go fast and can stay underwater longer. Uh, it makes it so much harder to detect.
0: And, and your assessment um, would be that even with, I guess, various technology changes in the years ahead, there's often speculation about you know, the oceans becoming uh, somewhat more transparent or translucent with um, underwater detection technologies. Your assessment is that a nuclear-powered submarine fleet would still be uh, a distinct advantage for Australia in the, the, the long time frame that we're talking here.
1: Uh, absolutely. And I think, you know, the, there is no doubt that we're seeing a greater level of uh, uh, surface and above water surveillance uh, capabilities by all nations, in particular uh, by China in the South China Sea. So, uh, you know, our, our assessment would be that, uh, that in the years to come, in the, in the near years to come, conventionally powered submarines uh, would be detectable whenever they surfaced. Uh, I think the suggestion that the oceans are going to become transparent—that's um, probably still a, a while away. Uh, no doubt that that technology will be pursued, uh, but um, the, the nuclear-powered submarine will have a greater advantage. Um, as we see the uh, increased use of technology in the undersea domain, uh, I would fully expect that. Um, uh, while there'll be advances in communication and detection uh, uh, techniques underwater, um, uh, we're not going to see the, the oceans become uh, transparent anytime soon.
0: Right, let's turn to AUKUS itself because, of course, it's not the only uh, strategic or diplomatic or capability response that Australia's made to this uh, much more challenging strategic environment with the rise of uh, China's military power and China's ability and willingness to, to project force. Um, but it is, uh, by the time we uh, we, we, we publish this uh, podcast, it, it will be a year since uh, the AUKUS agreement was um, announced by the three leaders of Australia, the United States uh, and the United Kingdom. Uh Why is AUKUS, in your view, such a significant part of Australia's response to this tough strategic outlook? Uh, What is the main purpose of AUKUS, or or are there multiple purposes here?
1: I think there's multiple purposes, Rory. I think um, you know from the outset, the um, the AUKUS uh, agreement is significant, is that uh, uh, it, it it formally allows Australia to get access to military technology. Uh, of the like that we've not had access to before. And clearly the nuclear-powered submarine uh, is, the, is the masthead program there. Um, the reality, of course, is that uh, Australia and the US were great allies and have been for over 100 years, and, uh, and the relationship and partnership that we have uh, with the UK uh, has always been strong. Um, but we've not been in that position of sharing the most sensitive military technologies. Um, notwithstanding the fact that we're like-minded and we're committed to a a free and prosperous Indo-Pacific, what AUKUS gives us is a a true commitment uh, to to, uh, ensure that Australia uh, has the best technologies available and that we work together with experienced partners to deliver platforms and capabilities uh, that will make us a a very strong, very capable and ultimately uh, interoperable and interchangeable uh, partner with our key, our key allies and partners. Um, and I think, I think ultimately, Rory, it signals that, that the government and Australia is, is really serious about ensuring uh, that we have the best possible uh, platforms and equipment for our defence force uh, in these challenging times.
0: Now, we know that AUKUS is more than submarines. There's uh, an advanced capabilities stream to the agreement as well uh, and a growing list of advanced technologies where there's a commitment to uh, work very closely together and in in a trusted way. But let's stick with submarines for a moment. Some of the commentary seems to assume that the submarine pathway uh, will boil down to a very straightforward choice between either the British astute-class submarine or the American Virginia-class submarine. Do you see it this way uh, or are there more unique and complex options that you think uh, could be considered, at least hypothetically?
1: Yeah, look, I think um, the, the role of the, uh, the task force uh, led by Vice Admiral Jonathan Mead, you know, their work over the last 12 months, uh, and it remains ongoing, is to determine that optimum pathway uh, and I think that uh, as as the three nations explore what uh, what the options look like, um, uh, there has certainly been a realization that um, that it, it may not be straightforward. And certainly, from my perspective, I I think there's there's great advantages in the Astute. I think there's great advantages in the Virginia. Uh, but uh, but ultimately. Uh, the decision of what the platform will be uh, needs to best meet Australia's needs, and uh, so I I could see that um, it it would be a combination uh, of the uh, I guess the advantages that both platforms bring. Um, neither platform is perfect for Australia, and uh, but they both have uh, some very strong attributes. Um. Clearly, the, the DNA uh, of the submarine will, will be uh, predominantly one of those designs But I would say that the ultimate, you know, the, the final product um, could have, could have um, uh, attributes and features or systems um, that, that may come from uh, the other design or, or in fact, uh, new technologies. That uh, that might be coming along, as we know the Astute uh, is uh, is a well-established submarine. Um, the uh, the UK are already looking towards what their what their next generation uh, nuclear attack class submarine will look like. Uh, similarly uh, for the uh, the US, the Virginia, we're now seeing a uh, Block Four variant there. Um, so you know, I think that the role of the task force, Rory, is to is to look at what those best attributes are. So uh, I think that uh, we are likely to see something that is unique uh, for Australia's purposes. Uh, But unique doesn't necessarily mean that it needs to be more complex. Uh, What it could be is a a combination of proven uh, technologies and proven systems uh, that Australia has experience with or can readily adapt to. Uh, that is uh, that is designed into a uh, submarine that meets Australia's purposes.
0: Uh, and it's useful that you've given that point of clarification there, because I think one of the concerns that many express, of course, are the the timelines, the cost, and uh, in in a sense, the more the more unique the challenge we're taking on here is that potential to um, to escalate those those even further. But let's let's go to some of the risks and costs, if if I may. Mike, because any massive, strategic, diplomatic, industrial undertaking like this, I mean, in some ways, I see this almost as a a nation building project for Australia. It comes with risks and costs. And uh, AUKUS actually stands out in some ways for the scale of the challenge. So what do you see as the main risks ahead?
1: Well, I think um, anything of this nature, Rory, uh, requires great investment, uh, great investment of uh, of finance great investment of energy uh, and great investment of human capital uh, so as i look at uh, at everything that we have have done so far uh, to deliver AUKUS, uh both in the lead up to the announcement and the um and the 12 months since it has been a tremendously uh, uh, demanding uh, period and uh, and many people have worked very hard to get to where we've got to uh, the reality, of course, is that we, we're still um, at the tip of the iceberg in terms of the submarine and the other capabilities, and it's going to take a lot more uh, energy and a lot of, a lot of uh, involvement by, uh, by many people in, very, in, in a variety of uh, roles uh, across the country. Uh, and um, I think f- as I think through that, the, the real challenge is the human capital aspect. Um, and certainly uh, as, as Chief of Navy, I, uh, I, I put a priority on people and, uh, and I don't see that changing uh, for AUKUS. We're going to see um, a lot of good people needed for um, the design phase of the submarine. We're going to need a, uh, a, a tremendous amount of talented people and committed people to build the submarines uh, here in Australia, and, of course, there'll be ongoing collaboration with our UK and US colleagues as we do that. Uh, and then, ultimately, the Navy has to operate these submarines. Uh, so, again, there'll be another uh, high demand for highly trained, highly skilled, highly committed people uh, to operate uh, these submarines in the 2030s, 2040s, 2050s and beyond. Uh, and then the, the industry... Both defence and uh, and civil nuclear uh, that will be required to support uh, the operation of the submarines and the regulation uh, of these capabilities uh, will again uh, require a lot of people. So I think we're we're really just you know, scratching the tip of the iceberg uh, in terms of what this does mean for the country. You mentioned the term nation building. Absolutely, it is, uh, and I think that. Now, what we will see going forward is, uh, is people uh, in all walks of life uh, somehow becoming touched and involved and contributing to this national endeavour. Uh, we will see uh, an evolution in, in STEM training through our primary schools, our secondary schools and our university, uh, which will ultimately uh, lead to uh, the, the development of human capital uh, in Australia, that will contribute to this great enterprise.
0: And if I can um, add to that, it's going to require some very clear uh, signalling and coordination to the education sector, uh, if, if you like. You know the, the roles to play. I, I've noticed uh, in the last twelve months a lot of interest, a lot of momentum, a lot of goodwill, uh, particularly among uh, universities here. You know they want to get involved. Both with existing educational offerings and really developing new and tailored offerings, and, and building their uh, their pool of talent from often a fairly modest base. So I guess I would just venture to say that um, this is going to have to be signalled very clearly. And I think I think we're all looking forward to those signals coming out at least um, at the end of the the pathway process in March uh, of of 2023. I don't know if you've got anything to add to add to that, Mike.
1: No, no, I, I agree t- entirely with that, Rory. I think, uh, this is, this is not just about the Navy. This is, this is a national enterprise. And, uh, and that skill, uh, requirement that you've alluded to is, is absolutely fundamental here. Uh, I think we heard a lot about nuclear-powered submarines when AUKUS was announced 12 months ago. Uh, but since then, um, you don't hear about it daily. Uh, of course, there is, there is so much else going on uh, within the nation. But this, uh, this enterprise, this commitment to uh, the pathway uh, is going to be something that we are going to need to sustain for many, many years. And uh, we are going to, we're going to see uh, a tremendous change in the character of the Australian education s- system, of, of engineering writ large across Australia uh, an understanding of nuclear power and nuclear engineering uh, will become a fundamental part uh, of, of STEM in Australia.
0: So any students listening to this, if, if uh, it's nuclear engineering or nuclear physics, uh, that's uh, vaguely your thing, um, it's, time to, um, it's time to really explore those opportunities, I, I, I suspect. We'll be right back Let's move to another risk, if you don't mind, Mike, looking at the question of a uh, capability gap that's often raised, you know, the question of time frames, looking at the, um, you know, the, the, the future of the Collins-class submarine uh, already, uh, you know, very long in service uh, and the talk or the risk of a capability gap between uh, really when, when we no longer have... Uh, potentially a viable Collins fleet, and we perhaps don't yet have that nuclear-powered submarine fleet in service. Uh, And of course, the dangers in the strategic environment, whether they're they're to do with um, coercion or aggression or miscalculation, risk of conflict, this stuff is not going to um, adjust according to Australia's uh, submarine building timeline. So what, what do we do about a possible gap?
1: Yes, uh, thanks, Rory. Uh, that's a question that uh, I think I was asked every time I I fronted uh, Senate estimates, and uh, I guess my thinking is: well, the capability gap um, is something you could debate forever. Uh, the reality is, we've got what we've got uh, until we've got something different. Uh, the Collins class submarines, as you uh, as you mentioned, uh, they are a great submarine, and uh, in in many ways, uh, they have proven themselves to be uh, one of the most successful um, conventionally powered submarines in the world. And they, uh, they've certainly uh, served our Navy and our country with distinction, uh, but they are aging. Uh, the, the spiral um, upgrade programs that we continue to see for those, uh, those submarines are very important. And of course, the Life of Type um, extension program, uh, which will begin in 2026. We'll see each submarine uh, not only, uh, I guess, rebirth for a further 10 years of service, but we'll see um, significant improvements uh, to the the propulsion train, uh, to the uh, the sensors, the sonar systems, uh, and ultimately uh, the operation of the submarine. But you're right, um, they, they will have a life uh, that, um, that, that may in fact um, uh, lead to uh, a capability deficiency. I wouldn't necessarily go as far as to say a, a capability gap uh, as we transition from, from this to the next. Uh, again, the, uh, the work of the task force with respect to what the next submarine will be and the timeline it will be delivered in, uh, is very important here, and I know that um, you know, government and defence are, are, are both very focused on ensuring that 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 time that timeline is as tight as possible, uh, and that will be a key consideration in determining the design, the build, uh, and the delivery strategy for the submarine. Um, and um, I, I guess that's that's where we are with the submarine. The reality, though, of course, is that uh, there are other uh, programs and systems and platforms that are being pursued, uh, both inside and outside of AUKUS, uh, that will address the uh, the capabilities that, uh, that that we are going to need uh, going forward.
0: So you don't necessarily mean submarines in that in that sense.
1: That's correct, and uh, you know there are a number of other uh, things that I know that are being explored. In the undersea domain, for example, uh, that will provide capabilities uh, that uh, will contribute uh, and enhance Australia's security in the undersea domain uh, that are not just submarines. The type 20, the, uh, sorry, the the Hunter class frigate, for example, based on the type 26 uh, frigate of the UK, will contribute to Australia's undersea uh, security
0: although that itself has pretty long timelines controversially
1: it does it does uh, and uh, and again the existing fleet surface fleet uh, is is more capable than it's ever been in terms of its ASW uh, attributes so uh, while the submarine is a centerpiece of the undersea uh, warfare domain it's not the only piece and uh, and there will be uh, I I uh, fully expect that we'll see uh, new technologies exploited and explored uh, in the next decade um, that um, that we're not even using now. So so uh, I think there's that. AUKUS also, of course, is going to deliver uh, military technologies in, in hypersonics and countering hypersonics. Uh, we've seen a great commitment and focus on cyber. Uh, and all of these elements of uh, of of capability will come together and contribute um, not just to the undersea domain uh, uh, strategic um, environment, but, but also to the surface and, and above surface as well. So, uh, you know, I think that while while some commentators talk about the capability gap, I think what we are going to see is, is a range of new technologies and a range of new capabilities uh, that will contribute not only to the undersea domain but to, to all of the uh, domains in which the Australian Defence Force work.
0: And I note that one of the areas of uh, work in the advanced capabilities uh, side of AUKUS is actually unmanned underwater vessels. So uh, I, I guess that's, that, that, that's fitting in that, uh, that family of um, capabilities as well, in your view.
1: Oh, absolutely. And we've seen a, uh, a commitment now, uh, for, uh, for, for some years, from government and defence in the unmanned space, uh, you know, the Navy just recently ran the uh, Autonomous Warrior uh, exercise down in Jarvis Bay. Uh, some great advances there, some great technologies on display and great collaboration uh, with, uh, with partners, both in industry and overseas. Um, the government's commitment to the extra-large UUV, uh, and the signing of the contract with Andrew recently is is hugely exciting it's a space that we've not operated in before but all of these things uh, absolutely uh, contribute to that that unmanned space and and ultimately uh, ex- exploiting and exploring uh, what we can do in the undersea domain.
0: so just a couple of uh, questions and thoughts before we wind this up still on risks and challenges in a way. I'd, I'd like to turn a little to the international context, the various international uh, reactions and international relationships that um, were affected by the AUKUS announcement that that, that still matter to Australia in other ways. So it's been about a year since AUKUS was announced. Uh, there was a wide range of international reactions and some of them were were pretty challenging, pretty troubling, I think, for uh, for Australia's uh, interests uh, at the time. And I'm thinking, for example, the uh, reaction of France, uh, the reaction of some countries in Southeast Asia. But Australia is trying to build a web of international partnerships, some of which work in the realm of hard security, some of which work in the realm of highly close, trusted capability building, some of which work more at a diplomatic level or in terms of um bringing a a comprehensive balance of power to bear. And AUKUS has an impact on many of those uh, in in different ways. Where do you see AUKUS in the context of all of our other international partnerships? And what's your sense of how the international reactions are tracking?
1: Well, I think winding back, uh, firstly, Rory, uh, the the announcement of AUKUS uh, really was uh, a great surprise. Uh, it was a surprise nationally. Uh, it was a surprise regionally. It was a surprise internationally. And uh, I, I guess in that context, it's not surprising that we saw a range of reactions uh, because people uh, hadn't had the opportunity to uh, uh, to digest what what had just been announced. Uh, and and for a country like Australia uh, that has not had a a history of operating nuclear power submarines um, this would be this would be hugely surprising and um, it, it of course takes time to be able to uh, explain uh, to uh, stakeholders what this means both um, holistically but but most importantly what does it mean to them and the ongoing relationship with us. Uh, it was very important. Uh, to uh, disabuse any suggestion that this was uh, uh, an avenue for australia to become involved in in nuclear nuclear weapons for example um, and that was that was always crystal clear that there was absolutely no intention uh, or or desire uh, or ambition to to be involved in in that side of things but 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 six months, nine months down the track, people were still asking that question. So it takes time uh, to clarify uh, and for that message to be to be fully understood. The issue of nuclear proliferation is is something that is hugely uh, sensitive. It's very important. And again, you know, the the assurance by government, by defence, uh, by people involved in this decision. Um, that provides absolute assurance that um, that this is not a pathway for nuclear proliferation um, is very very important um, what i was able to experience in the in the um, in the international uh, arena in which i had contact was uh, once once the explanation of why we were doing this uh, was clear and this was about all about Australia's ability to continue to operate its submarines um, in a way that the government would choose to, in the areas that we choose to operate, when we choose to operate, for as long as we choose to operate. Uh, uh, it, it was not about challenging every, anybody else's sovereignty, uh, and it certainly wasn't um, about um, uh, undermining or in some way dismantling the very important uh, international uh, uh, relationships that we have, both both bilaterally and multilaterally, throughout the region, and uh, and so I saw a, a, a marked shift from the initial uh, reaction of shock uh, to one of acceptance, uh, to one of uh, embracing the fact that Australia was taking the security and the prosperity of the region so seriously, and and that, uh, that AUKUS um, as a access to technology um, in no way uh, undermined or affected the very important international relationships that we enjoy both regionally uh, and across the world. Um, you mentioned the French and, of course, um, their reaction. Uh, of course, it was one of shock. It was one of disappointment um, to... to to have gone so far down the path of exploring uh, the, uh, the production of, um, of uh, the attack-class submarine in Australia to something that was very different came as a huge shock. shock. But here we are 12 months down track. Uh, military and government relationships with, within, with France have improved significantly and, uh, and there's a commitment to doing more together militarily. Uh, in the Indo-Pacific, which I think is, is tremendously, uh, encouraging, uh, and important because we do share this region with France and, uh, and they're a great friend and they're a great partner. Um, and, uh, I think what we, what we have seen in the last 12 months is, um, is, is a commitment by the three AUKUS partners, uh, to be, to be stronger in the Indo-Pacific. And we shouldn't, um, we shouldn't discount the fact that in the last 12 months uh, we've seen China commission nine new destroyers, two amphibious ships, and a nuclear-powered submarine. Uh, and so that puts it into context that we can't sit idly by uh, and expect that um, we, we will be able to uh, remain uh, a credible defence uh, power and presence in the region. If we don't explore uh, the best possible technologies and platforms,
0: Look, thanks for that uh, articulation. And I think that uh, you know there are obviously still some challenges in those international relationships. And in a, in a future podcast, we'll have some other guests uh, who'll help help unpack those. Uh, but. I, I agree there has been um, significant change in the international responses over the past 12 months. It does, I guess, beg the question in my mind whether we could have got the messaging better from the the outset um, and that, I appreciate, is um, to a large degree a question of, of diplomacy. But I, I want to go finally to one relationship in particular and that is with the United States because uh, there would be no AUKUS without the United States in Indeed, Australia's security outlook would be profoundly different if the United States was not um, such a formidable ally and partner in the Indo-Pacific. So my question is, what do you think AUKUS tells you, what does AUKUS tell us about the direction of uh, American and Australian strategy in the Indo-Pacific in the years ahead?
1: Uh, I think what it does... um Underline in the first instance, uh, Rory, is that uh, we, we have got a, a great uh, history of working together both operationally uh, in people-to-people contacts and, and now obviously what AUKUS gives us is that ability to explore technology. Uh, we, we have had modest exchanges uh, over the years with respect to um, the combat system in the Collins-class submarine, for example. Uh, the Mark 48 uh, heavyweight torpedo um, collaboration, uh, that they have been uh, uh, works where we have uh, had complete collaboration. Uh, moving forward under AUKUS, I see that all of that collaboration will and can only deepen. Um, we would seek to to do more with the US in terms of guided weapons uh, We and to the point that we, we're now looking of... Uh, the the of weapons uh, industry in Australia. How we would uh, potentially build and service uh, guided weapons um, interchangeably um, with our with our key partner and ally. Um, I think that uh, our our commitment to uh, nuclear powered submarines provides a uh, an opportunity for the US to operate in this region, uh, more frequently. And we've, we've heard statements from, uh, the U S secretary for defense, uh, from the commander of Indo-Pacific command, and of course the commander of Pacific command, uh, to operate more regularly, uh, in, in our region. A, uh, a, uh, a base, uh, on the East coast of Australia, I think is, is something that we will see occur. And, uh, and that also provides an opportunity for for US nuclear-powered submarines to operate and potentially undertake maintenance here, uh, which is uh, hugely important, Uh, and and it's a great opportunity, uh, not just to to strengthen our military ties, but to to deepen our our industry capabilities and ties as well. Um, So I think all of this, Rory, is underpinned by the fact that not only is our military alliance a strong one, but our, our shared commitment to the security and prosperity of the Indo-Pacific uh, is, is absolutely in lockstep and is, is one. And uh, what AUKUS does is allows Australia uh, to, to be a, uh, a stronger partner, a stronger ally to, to, us, to the US, and to uh, be able to be more helpful in terms of our uh, contribution to to, uh, maintenance, to our contribution to delivery, to our contribution uh, to options uh, and our contribution to to sharing um, uh, all of those things um, across not just the maritime domain, but ultimately uh, the, the land, air, uh, and space uh, domains as well. And, uh, you know, I think um, what, what AUKUS does does do, it takes a, an extremely strong and important alliance uh, to the very next level. Um, you know, I, I, I often use the term interchangeability as I talked about uh, the US Navy and the Australian Navy. I think what AUKUS does for us with the US is it, is it makes us more compatible, More interoperable and ultimately more interchangeable um, in in all of those domains.
0: Lots more questions we could go to, but um, I'm I'm conscious uh, that this has already been, I think, a very rich conversation. And we do have a a few more podcasts in this series where we will go into issues like non-proliferation, regional reactions, and and more. So, look, I'm going to wind that up there and. Thank our special guest once again for his time and insights today. So uh, Vice Admiral uh, Michael Nernan, who was uh, Chief of the Royal Australian Navy uh, during the uh, the inception of, of AUKUS, thank you very much for joining us on the National Security Podcast.
1: Thanks very much, Rory, and uh, and all the best for the rest of the series.